When you partner with Axon, you immediately gain access to a full range of products and solutions designed to meet the complex needs of today's grower. We carry all major brands and sizes of tires and wheels. We specialize in large diameter wheels for large equipment. We have one of the largest OEM replacement wheel inventories in North America. Known for extreme flotation setups, duals, and triples, we have wheels for all makes and models of tractors, sprayers, combines, and grain carts. If we don't have the wheel in stock, we'll custom build, sandblast, and paint in-house. There isn't a more vast inventory in North America dedicated to helping dealers move more iron. With facilities on the West Coast and in the heart of the Midwest, leverage our 230,000 square feet of indoor inventory to solve any problem a grower may have. Move more iron with Axon. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by these great sponsors. Axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, Ag Direct can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving iron time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Moving Iron. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. Mark, this is Sean Hackett. This edition of Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Axon Tire, helping dealers move more iron for the past 100 years. For more information, go to axontire.com. Axon Tire has two great offers for our listeners here at the Moving Iron Podcast. If you'd like to get a Alliance branded flashlight and a ball cap, send an email to marketing at axontire.com and they will send it to you in the mail ASAP. Also, if you are going to attend the Moving Iron Summit coming up here in Nashville, Tennessee, September 11th through the 13th and want $50 off your registration, be one of the first 150 people to do that, and Axon will take care of that $50 for you. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs at Valley Transportation. Our goal is to help you reach yours. Powered by Farm Credit Ag Direct is built for today's agriculture with simple applications, quick responses, competitive rates, and generous flexible terms. AgDirect offers buy, lease, and refinance options on almost all types of new and used equipment, non-recourse and timely funding back to the dealership, plus sales incentives. No other ag equipment lender works like AgDirect. Learn more by calling your AgDirect territory manager or 888-525-9805 or visit us at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. 
Tractor Zoom's Iron Collins is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and optimal pricing insights. This podcast is also brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work today. Sean Hackett is with Hackett Financial out of Boca Raton, Florida. He's nice enough to come on and talk about what's happening in the marketplace. And he is via Deadwood today, Deadwood, South Dakota. So, Sean, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing pretty good. Pretty good. I can't complain. Awesome, man. Well, we have uh, some reports out here this morning. Obviously, like we've talked about here, um, China's starting to open up. And one of the largest uh, buyers of Brazilian soybeans in January was China. So that's a good, that's a one that's not like out of the ordinary by any means that they're typically are the biggest buyer of January soybeans, but it's just one more indicator to show that they're, they're open stuff up as fast as they can. And and that's going to be a, a big swing on the market here. Well, you know, we should, we should expect a demand from them to, to start really getting significantly better starting in the second quarter, you know, when they really get on the other side of this COVID chaos reopening. So, you know, we need to look for signs of, um, you know, things like crude oil or things like cotton prices or things like, you know, natural gas prices, um, you know, things that would be um, more sensitive, you know, pork prices, uh, you know, look for, look for those early mover advantages to what that's going to really show that they're, you know, coming on in. We're starting to see, like I said, some early signs, um, you know, but, uh, but it's going to take a little while to get to a, to a level where it's going to really start to drive the market higher. Yep. So you have uh U.S. imported goods from China are uh, coming up as well. Um, you've seen more factories start to increase. Um, you see, U.S. imports of goods from China totaled five point, actually $536.8 billion in 2022, a 6.3% increase. So that's another signal that they're getting more things out um, comparatively to what we've seen over the last couple of years where they've had so many shutdowns and, and locking down cities and whatnot that some of this manufacturing stuff couldn't get there. So, I mean, I guess... I've always kind of thought once China got rolling that some of this inflationary, worldly um, inflationary stuff that we see would start to come down as more supply hit um, hit, hit the hit the marketplace, I guess. So, Sean, what are your thoughts there? And do you think that's a fair assessment? That prices are going to come down? Yeah, just because of more, more uh, manufacturing supply hits the marketplace. In China, if, if they, if it being that some of those shortages would right. be remedied, yes, over time, over time. But you remember how chaotic it was for us to get our manufacturing back online and the transportation back online. Um, it's going to take a while. Uh, obviously, every little bit helps, but uh, I don't think it's going to. You know, I think the logistical. There's two sides. What they need to get going again, and what is it going to take to get their logistics back to the way it was. Um, that's two, two, two different discussions. I really, um, I think it's going to be a long while before, you know, anyone really f- expects them to get back to normal on operating the ports and the trucking and the transportation and, and every, and everything there it's, but, but they have to start somewhere, but I'm not sure that's going to be an immediate effect. It'll be something slow over time, I think. So, yep. Okay. All right. So on the, on the oil front here a little bit, let's talk about that on the energy side. Um, You've seen some some decent moves in, in in oil here of late. I mean, nothing nothing crazy. You're still kind of hovering around that eighty to eighty five mark. Um, you know, right now I got crude oil here at uh, let's see seventy seven eighty six. And if you're if you're looking at um, kind of where it's been, it hasn't really moved too much. 
it's kind of been just playing in that that spot. And you talked about that earlier that you thought oil should be somewhere between seventy and eighty dollars a barrel. So looking at that, Sean, what are your thoughts there? And how do you see as China starts to open back up? Do you expect to see a big jump up in in um, price oil? Well, I think the combination of strategic petroleum reserve supplies ending and China's demand slowly coming back online, you know, we should see some higher prices. You know, we can argue, you know, how high, but certainly I would think a better balance between actual production um, and an improving demand from China. You know, I, I would think something closer to maybe, you know, 85 to 95 dollars somewhere in that range i think would be a, is a better number right now until the u.s uh, economy and the global economy starts to show some better signs of life i think that's probably where we're heading i think where we had today uh casey 678 77 something like that so i think we could put ten dollars a barrel on if if we really if they if we get strong signals that spr is offline and uh and this China demand story really starts to kick in as we get into the second quarter, but it's going to be a slow grind for a little while. So, yeah. all right, looking over here at some of the soft markets, if you take a look, we talked about orange juice a couple of weeks ago and about how the expense that we saw there with that, and it was truly a demand-based thing. Looking at 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 things like orange juice, Sean, where do you see that going, and, and do you see any relief in sight there? Well, right now we're going through a blow-off top in orange juice prices. It's making all-time highs. It's gone vertical. It's a classic blow-off top. Um, it's a it's a consequence of um, the frost we had a year ago in Florida, and of course the hurricane that came into Florida here in uh, you know this year that just put the uh, the area underwater. Um, and essentially, I think the USDA came out and said that there's 18. We're going to produce 18 million boxes. It's essentially zero. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, and so the market is, and of course, you know, we're trying to import as much as we can from Brazil, but you know, there's somehow that we've we've triggered a, a mismatch, you know, and uh, so we're going through a supply squeeze trade, no no pun intended. But usually, when you get into these vertical moves, these straight up moves, these um, parabolic rises, that's usually the very end of a um, of a of a of a supply scarcity trade before we come back down the other side. I don't think. Orange production in Florida is going to zero forever. I think we'll see some production improving. These prices are very, very good, and uh, and I think some of the trees that uh, were not destroyed will re- rebound. And so, you know, certainly we would expect to see some kind of a important, very significant top to, to occur here. You know, always hard to gauge how blow, one blow off tops were were to end, but if you th- look at something like percentage above the 20 moving average oftentimes when you start getting orange juice you know that 35 to 40 percent above the 20 moving average that has historically been pretty close to getting the maximum stretch on these blow-off tops so we'll you know we're watching this market and seeing how much further this blow-off top has to go but it's a you know it's a it's a it's a consequence of getting to a point where uh, you reached a point where supply and demand reached a hole in the system and we had to remedy that. So that that's a that's one of those classic kind of examples. We saw that in lumber a few years back, if you recall. Um, you know, we see it from time to time. We saw it natural gas yeah. a little while when we had that move up to 10. Um, and certainly uh we saw in egg prices, for example, you know, that had that huge spike at the last yeah. December. Um now they're coming crashing back down. If you look at egg prices lately, they've been down 30% in the last couple of weeks. So 
fertilizer prices, we saw it, you know, yeah. parabolic rise, fall. So look, there's there's a there's a there's a consistent pattern here, and, and OJ is not going to <clears throat> end that pattern. It's just a question of how far does it have to go before you get on the other side. But we're in the we're in the hunt for a serious top here in orange juice. Yeah. Okay. Milk is something I've been paying attention to. And I tell you what, it's been um just because I sell forage harvesters and that's dictates the sale of forage harvesters on in more ways than not. They've pretty much priced milk to where I don't know why anybody'd want to produce it. It's $17.90 right now, and that's gotta be well below the cost of production. So I guess looking at milk, Sean, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, I mean, this price level now doesn't work. I mean, you know, the U.S. is a diverse place. They have higher cost production out west. They have better cost production in the south. But overall, there's no one making money on, uh, you know, in, in the milk market right now. Um, remember, one of the big, big uh, beneficiaries of Chinese demand is milk powder. So there's two classes of milk, class three, which is the cheese, primar primarily cheese uh uh, milk price, and then you have class four, which is primarily the milk powder price. The class four price has actually seen a, a nice little reversion, um, bullish reversal back up here the last several weeks. As I think, once again, seeing some of these early signs of Chinese demand coming in, um, I would think class four would probably go up first as a leading edge and kind of give a warning of when class three is, is going to turn. But I think the milk market, like many markets, is probably going to be looking at carving a pretty significant bottom here in the first quarter. And I think that the move higher here in class four prices, maybe the early warning sign that this Chinese demand is starting to be felt in the powder market. And, um, and once again, when you have prices this low, it means production, not only here, but globally later in the year is going to start to ebb. So if you think this through declining global production, just as China wants significant increases in milk, you know, we, we could have a, we we could have a you know quite a reversion back up here later in the year and kind of a boomerang effect. Yeah. All right. So looking over at, at sugar. So sugar is a unique market, <clears throat> more so than anything else is in, in in the United States, simply because we typically grow about enough sugar to to handle domestic um, domestic need, domestic demand, and then as as uh, various situations pop up, more and more of that. Uh, sugar will get bought off uh, the world market, but typically we don't do that. I mean, it has to have something extreme happen like two years ago when there was some pretty big um, frost and those kind of things and drought situations and sugar beet growing areas and those kind of things. But looking at sugar right now, um, over the last uh, couple months, you put about two, three cents onto sugar and you're up there in that 21, 22 range, which is very profitable on the uh, from a sugar beet producer side, as long as the sugar's there. Um, I guess, Sean, looking at the sugar market, what are your thoughts there? And, and how do you see that impact throughout the rest of the year? We had a two-year base sideways trading pattern in sugar. You know, it's done nothing for two years. And um, and then all of a sudden, it's starting to break out to the upside of this two-year trading range. Usually, speaking just perfect, you know, purely technically, you know, that's a market that looks like it's ready to trend higher when you get a market that does that. Um, I think the two primary reasons why it's starting to perk up, well, three primary reasons. One is we know that the sugar beet crop in Europe was horrendous last year because of the drought, and they're a significant sugar producer. Mm -hmm. Secondly, um, India has continued to not export as much as they said they were going to export. They defaulted on contracts. 
They are putting curbs on on exports. They're claiming that they're worried about El Nino coming, um, and that usually El Nino has a significant impact to sugar production in India and in Thailand, by the way. Um, and so those two factors have really shifted, uh, you know, the sugar market into worry over supply versus worry over demand. And uh, and if crude oil prices, if they were to you know, improve here, Casey, like we talked about, maybe, you know, putting some extra price increases on from Chinese demand, ethanol prices could become much more attractive in Brazil and necessitate more ethanol, less sugar production. So it looks to me like this could be a market that, you know, might be in the early stages of kind of getting off its very, very quiet two-year trading pattern and possibly trending higher here for a while. And, And it's unusual for sugar to do that. As you approach, um, or as, as you start to get closer to ending La Nina and moving towards El Nino later in the year, and and uh, so so it's one of the markets to kind of watch f- for something more protracted to the upside, where um, it has been pretty much a dead dog here for quite a few years. Okay, right on. When you look at last thing here, Sean, <clears throat> just jump back and talk about the natural gas thing. You, you hit on that a little bit. That was one of the one of the energy things I want to talk to you about. Uh, if you look at where natural gas is right now, um, it's two dollars and forty cents, and it was uh, like you said about ten not too long ago. So you took off roughly seven dollars and sixty cents worth of uh, worth of overall growth that we see there. Right now, the natural gas price is actually below where it was when it took off to start the first time. Looking at natural gas with the situation that we see in in Russia and Ukraine, what what was the big I guess, was that drive up just the scarcity of what we saw happen in Russia, Ukraine, and how that kind of stirred the market up a little bit? And then uh, people realized it wasn't the biggest deal it was. And you talked about a little bit about weather and, and winter and those kind of things and and going into this year, what that those stores might look like, and it might not be as bad as what people thought. Is that is that what's really driving this this price back down? Well, what drove it up, if you remember, is that we had, we had gotten prices below $2 there at the very, very low during COVID. Every natural gas producer was going bankrupt um, and production started to fall. And then, uh, of course, we came out of COVID. <laughs> the demand started to pick up. Uh, and then the, the um, situation with Russia, Ukraine got going. And all of a sudden, Europe needed all kinds of LNG uh, that we were starting to provide, you know, the sell to it. The hurricane came and remember it shut down production, but it didn't shut down the export terminals. It's never happened before. And then that set off a spike trade. And then we had the long cold ending winter last year that added extra demand in both Europe and, and uh, in the U S and we had a huge shortage, Yeah, you know? And so then everybody was worried that we were going to run out of natural gas in Europe during this winter. Fortunately, and as we had warned about, you know, we were expecting a kind of a short, um, you know, not a long cold winter. It was going to kind of give a break to Europe, give a break to the U.S. And then another thing happened. Remember, the Freeport Export Terminal had got a fire yep, yep. Um, last, I think it was last August or September, and shut down 25% of all LG exports coming out of the terminal. And they're still shut down. They're expecting to open up in March, reopen, and finally get back to exporting LNG again. That was a massive loss of demand that all that supply that would have been leaving 
stayed in the country. So you put all this together. Um, and remember, with China being in lockdowns, Asia being in, in declining economic mode, and, uh, you know, the LNG imports from Japan and from China were way, way down. All this kept exports going into Europe at a very high level, and they were able to get topped off before the winter. And then we've had a short winter, hasn't been very cold, um, and now we're kind of near the end. Um, now, of course, guess what? Production's growing again because prices were so high. You know, eight, nine, and ten. Uh, we're starting to see production growing significantly again. So, it's you know that's why we're here. But of course, here is unsustainable. <laughs> right, right. You know, yeah. This is this is unsustainably low. Um, it doesn't mean that the energy problem in Europe has been solved. Um, you know, it doesn't mean. And of course, China is coming back online. They're going to buy all kinds of LNG. Uh, Japan's going to be buying even more LNG um, next winter. You know, I mean. It, it, it's it's just the way markets get to when they get into a supply scarcity trade, they blow their top off. And it's not unusual that when you get a blow off top, you come back to where we originally broke the market out of. That's actually how it normally works. If you look at a parabolic rise, it usually will, will break down back to the breakout point and then it bottoms and then you start another rally. So, you know, it could sit there for a while. You know, uh, production isn't going to slow down right away, but, you know, under three at this level, Long-term uh, physical buyers of natural gas and propane, boy, what a wonderful place to be locking extremely cheap uh, long-term energy um, costs for those that use natural gas and propane. I mean, this is, just a, you know, even fertilizers coming back down for the nitrogen-based fertilizers because of this. All these things we think here between now and the spring are offering those who have physical needs for fertilizer, propane, and natural gas are, you know, Great opportunity to get long-term coverage here, Casey, because um, it's it's unsustainably low. You know, we could argue how long it will stay down this low, but this is just a really good long-term opportunity to lock in the cheapest energy in the world right now is right here, right now, looking at natural gas prices. Yeah, and you said that about three things now in this podcast. You said that on energy costs. You said that with feed costs, and you've talked about that on um, fertilizer costs too. As, as you're talking about those three things, so taking a hard look at those three things right now in any operation, I don't care what you do, whether it's on the cattle side or the production side, uh, grain production side, or, or what that is, those, all three of those things are going to play a, a pretty lofty part of your, uh, of your operation. Well, the, the one we always talk about Casey in our, in, in our reports and our podcasts and in our presentations, we always talk about the era of weather and price volatility that we've entered into and that, profitability is always greater on the farm because of price volatility, which means up and down, Yeah, which means you get to get opportunities to sell at a high price. You're going to get opportunities to buy at a low price because volatility means you get exaggerated moves in each direction. By goodness, we mean, we've seen so many markets do this, um, but you have to have a plan and you have to have the guts and the intestinal fortitude that when getting this good and when there's blood in the streets when everyone's bearish natural gas when six months everyone was telling you it was going to 20 you have to be able to put those physical buy orders in and get yourself topped that you can't get caught up in the bearish talk or the bullish talk you have to you have to act when the going is good on either side of the aisle if you do that and you're proactive with that that is how you let the market how you take advantage of the market price volatility and not let the price volatility take advantage of you right now 
Fertilizer is starting to give an opportunity as well as natural gas itself. Feed prices, I think we might get an opportunity here, Casey, on an early spring um, that we're looking for here into March, early April. Remember, we think there's a, an escalated, elevated risk that we could see um, you know, a Gleisberg cycle develop here this summer. Um, and we would certainly want to make sure that we buttoned up our cash needs and certainly protected upside price risk in case this Gleisberg cycle, um, this 89-year Gleisberg cycle uh, validates in 23, as it has for the last 11 centuries. You, you don't want to be a livestock producer chasing 8 to $10 corn if that's what happens this year. So lots and lots of things one can do when the prices are moving around, um, as long as you're proactive and your eyes are wide open and you're not um, you know, getting caught up in the emotions of the moment. So. Yep. Right on. Okay. Lastly, last thing I want to throw out there at you with customers that you work with, have you talked to them much about their, their chemical and um, herbicide costs and those kind of things, looking at those, those values where they were this time last year were, were really, really high. And, and most times didn't know if they were going to get it. So I guess looking at that, Sean, what, what are you hearing on that front? Everything is on the ebb. You know, some are falling fast. Some things are falling faster than others. You know, the fertilizer is really starting to fall much faster now. The chemicals are not quite as much because there's still some some logistical production issues that's keeping that sticky. But they are coming down. Everything is coming down. The inputs are coming down, um, and I think they're going to continue to come down into the spring before, you know, we get this um, boomerang effect from China in the back half of the year. Um, you know, I'm not smart enough to know exactly. Um, you know, how fast all these things are going to move. But I do believe that, you know, there's opportunities on the input side, whether it's natural gas, propane, fertilizer, nitrogen based fertilizer, even the rate, even the potash and the phosphate are coming down some. Um, there's opportunities here to get inputs back into a better economic position uh, from now into the spring than, than was offered three to six months ago when everyone was panicking that you had to go buy two years worth of inputs. You know, we didn't make any of those recommendations, but we do think there's a good opportunity here before we get this boomerang effect later in the year. It's a great opportunity. So yeah. so those on, on the input side, um, you know, we're, 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 we like to think that you, you know, we pick a spot, buy it all. Averaging a hedging program, a cash buying program between now and the spring. You know, I don't know where the bottom will be. I don't know how low exactly we'll go. Nobody does. But I think if you just say, okay, I'm going to be buying 12 months worth of fertilizer here between now and let's say June, and I'm going to average it in over time. I think when you get done with that process, you'll have done a world of good of getting yourself a really, really good footprint for, for laying a good foundation because um, if you just think this through, Casey, so so let's say we do get the Gleisberg cycle. Let's say that this is the year and we get seven, eight, nine, ten dollar corn and we get twenty dollar soybeans and 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 everyone on the plant's gonna be planting next year, and we get El Nino, and the demand for fertilizer is gonna go through the roof. The, the prices are gonna go through the roof. You wanna be locking in now so that when the the input prices are going through the roof six months and a year from now. You've got a, you've got the economic advantage. You've got it locked in, like you could have done that back in 2020. Um, mm -hmm. And so, when the price of corn goes to eight or nine or ten, if that's what it does, you're making that significant margin because you are not chasing your inputs on the on the ladder up. Um, that's so important. 
you almost never get an opportunity to lock in the inputs and the price of corn at the same time and maximize the margin. You almost always have to do one at, at a completely different phase than the other um, and have the courage to do so if you're really going to be maximize your profits on the farm. It's hard to do that. I understand why farmers are oftentimes resistant to doing that because it's hard to buy an input when you don't have the price sold, but you have to get into a habit of just getting in a habit of buying when the getting is good on each side. And you'll find that you'll get your, you're going to get yourself on the right side of the market and the margin most of the time. So right on. Okay. Good advice. All right, Sean, appreciate you being on the podcast. Folks want to reach out to you, get more information about what it is you're doing over to hack financial. What's the best way to do that? Our website is Hackett, H-A-C-K-E-T-T, advisors.com. There's lots of information on there. They also can look at our Twitter page, at Faradex11. They can also look at our LinkedIn page. You know, We try to update some things from time to time, as well as our website. So to give an idea of what we do, how we do it, to see if we could be of value to some of your listeners. On LinkedIn, so I know you're on LinkedIn because I... I tag you every time that we do something, but does, does your hack of finance, do you have a hack of financial page on that? On I do. What's that? Just hack of financial or hack of advisors? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Right on. Yep. Right on, man. All right, Sean, appreciate you being on the podcast, buddy. Thanks, Case. It's always a blast. Appreciate it. Remember, put it all on black and just let it ride. <laughs> right on, buddy. All right. All right. I'm Casey Seymour, Moving Iron Podcast. Check me in on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Moving Iron LLC. Go to LinkedIn at Moving Iron Podcast and check out the uh, video version of this over on the YouTube channel, the Moving Iron Podcast YouTube channel. So check that out. Go to movingironllc.com for everything Moving Iron related and get all the information for the Moving Iron Summit coming up here in Nashville, Tennessee, September 11th through the 13th. If you want that $50 discount, be one of the first 150 people to sign up, and Axon Tire will take care of that for you. So with that, I'm Casey Seymour with Sean Hackett. We smart folks. Axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online to agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's IronComps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. Moving iron in the 21st century.